This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello there, and welcome to John Richardson and the Future Notes, the Christmas special. Um, and how special it will be. How special it is every week to have the pleasure of being joined by the future notes mr ed gillespie jingle bell hello (laughs) and the pressure is on mr mark stevenson uh i wish you a merry hello (laughs) (laughs) we'll warm up guys it's fine Um, thank you for joining us as ever thank you for your uh comments on last week's show which was the uh, protest special we haven't kick-started a global protest around the world so i guess is that is that a good or a bad thing well at least we haven't been charged with uh you know fermenting insurrection yet that's true because because uh, we could have we could have ended up in court quite quickly there have been a couple of uh moments this year on the podcast where we've released an episode and then something has happened and i think we've all had a moment of wondering how far our power reaches the the week after the sex episode was launched Pornhub removed all their non-verified content in a in a fell swoop do you think that was us we'll take the credit it's a good thing i think um on protest we have an email from kate uh, who says uh, firstly i have to say cracking way to start an email having heard the title of this week's podcast i was tempted to skip it Um, I've listened to all your podcasts and have encouraged other people to do so, largely for the ideas you offer for what we can do to make a difference. This time before listening, I immediately thought, like John, well, I'm a safe middle-class liberal. I don't do activism. Thankfully for me, I was listening on a dog walk and my hands were too wet to delve into my pocket to skip forward. (laughs) Makes this podcast more of a sort of hostage situation. Um, I sort of wondered if our figures were growing because we were reaching more people, but actually it's just that more of our listeners are too cold to take their gloves off and skip forward. Um, I stopped in my tracks uh, listening to John's remark about not asking someone to dig a well, but to dig it yourself. This is a very try anecdote. Bear with me. But as an early teen, I nagged to get my ears pierced and was refused permission until I was 18. I went and had them done at 15. Uh, and there's something that chimes with all parents, I think. After all the fuss died down, it was normalized and my sister had it done not long after. What occurred to me, especially now I'm a mum, is that children themselves practice direct activism all the time. Pushing against no is how they learn. When does that stop? Is it because children's activism tends to be self-censored and they're not shown there's a use for it in wider society? Or do we get scared when we've accumulated a certain degree of security status or whatever that we might lose by being seen as aggressive? I'm not sure these are questions that can be easily answered. While I probably still won't go on a march i will look at how i respond to the activism of the children around me and how i can encourage it while still getting them to do what i want them to do without shouting so thank you and i promise not to contemplate missing an episode again 
It's a lesson learned. Very good. Actually, I read that email as well, and it, and I thought it was profound because it made me think very differently about my own children as well, and sort of actually see some of the things that really annoy me is actually quite positive. So I have to thank her for that. Thank you very much. That's what we want from our listeners. We we see it as a as a mutually beneficial sort of support group for people trying to save the world. Yes, you're shepherding the next generation of uh, future activists, mm. encouraging them to take steps. My my daughter is currently, as we record, digging a well in our garden. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I mentioned as well for Valerie's email, which was uh, very touching, uh, and again talking about the uh, the protest podcast and that call to arms, and being touched by the point made that not everyone is cut out to be on the front line. She says that resonated with me. I've been blind for more than half my life and lived with depression even longer than that. I'm 52 now and the combination of blindness and depression has often made it difficult for me to be in the world as fully as I want. As a youngster, I wanted a capital M meaningful life played out on a big stage and to have the world set to rights by next Tuesday. But I've settled into my smaller life on a smaller stage and yes, it has meaning and I do make a worthwhile contribution in ways that I can. So I would I would uh, absolutely endorse that sentiment. Mm, yeah, I um I wrote back to, to that lady Valerie because I found her email you know extremely poignant and um and she reminded me I sent her a, a little poem. Ha <laughs> ha, me doing poetry. Fucking hell! It's a slippery slope, Mark. It's a really slippery slope. You're just trying to get a book published. That's all this is. <laughs> no, because as we all know, when you'd self-publish a book about poetry, it's not really poetry, and it's not really publishing. Anyway, in, a, in a, an act of serendipity, another of our uh, listeners has written in, a lady called Tracy. On the bottom of her email, she has this little poem by Wendell Berry, who's a great environmentalist and food activist that I'm very fond of his work. And um, I thought it was brilliant. It's only a very short poem. And I sent it to her and I've, I've shared it with a whole bunch of people, including Ed. And it's really helped me actually this week, you know, and it, I'll read it to you. It's only six lines long. It says, it may be that when we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. And when we no longer know which way to go, we've come to our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. And I find that really helpful because sometimes you don't. You just get to that point in your life. You go, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing, whether anything I'm doing makes any sense at all, or if I'm having any positive impact at all. And what that little poem does, it turns it around and goes, well, you're probably in the right place. And it reminds me of that great quote by Bertram Russell. It's like, you know, the great shame of the world is the stupid are cocksure and the intelligent are full of doubt. Or Socrates is uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. And it's just that you just kind of think, oh, actually being lost probably means you're exactly where you need to be and i find that very comforting in these strange and weird times so thank you tracy and thank you valerie wonderful um it's worth pointing out while we're getting all profound and we're all being nice to each other because it's a christmas special and we've all had a beer let's point out that whilst i also asked you for your feedback on the podcast i was very specific in wanting a degree of dirt on my colleagues mark and ed and I'm delighted to say that some of you have come forward. <laughs> Highlight amongst all of them, uh, Chris Lowry. Oh, uh, fucking Chris Lowry. Here we go. He knows. He knows. Um, hi, guys. Uh, he, he says he enjoys the podcast. Let's skip over that. It's not what we're here for. Um, <laughs> he also goes on to say, I'd like an episode on the future of democracy, which I believe we covered in series one, which is, yes, he's not a massive fan of the podcast. <laughs> um, someone else requested one of the episodes that has been covered in series one as well this week. So um, do check the back catalogue, guys. Stop wasting my time. I'll say my time. As you'll know, if you've emailed the show, it's Mark who replies. Um, now he says, now for a lighthearted memory about Mark. I used to work with Mark at a company called OB10. It was a plucky startup during Mark's tenure. And whilst he was working with us during the day, he also harbored a desire to be a prog rock star. Well, 
Nothing's changed there. He brought innovation to this area too by issuing shares in his band in order to fund record production. He convinced me to make an investment and after only a few months, it was wound up and we lost all of our investment. He is a much better author and podcaster than a musician. Keep up the good work, Chris Lowry. (laughs) Well, well, well. Fleecing work colleagues. Well, no, not at all, because we pretty much invented crowdfunding. I have to say for bands, we did it before any other band had really done it. And we said to everybody, look, this is the music industry. If you're going to put any money in, you are going to lose it because the chances of us being successful are almost zero. But if you really like the band, then why not? Because all of our fans who were, you know, had this mad fan base were kind of like saying, why can't we get a record from you? And we said, well, every record deal we read is just a disaster. So they said, well, we raise the money for you. So, uh, so it was actually a very hopeful story in the end. And everybody lost their money, but we did have a good time. And, uh, you know, Chris is still listening to the podcast, so he can't be that bitter, can he? And he's bought both my books. So Maybe uh, he's just trying to get a return on that investment, mate. <laughs> but what I've noticed from the mailbag is it's not just Chris. A whole bunch of people that I know have emailed in to give yes. me a hard time. And nobody who knows Ed has done it. No. Yeah. I have a theory about this. This means one of four things. Ed is a complete saint and has never done anything wrong. That's not true because I know him. Uh, <laughs> he has no friends. That's also not true because I know him and he's got lots. Uh, maybe none of his friends listen to the podcast. That may be true. Or... And I think this is more likely. He's probably got more on his friends than they have on him. And having met some of Ed's friends, I think that's probably very likely. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I think that's probably the most most realistic uh, explanation. I definitely, I definitely have some dossiers. <laughs> <laughs> it is true they are all exclusively about you, uh, including that you were known as uh, Superman at school, which I, I wasn't going to read because that's cool. I can't be doing with things like that. But um, in the way of children, it's just because you were clever and you wore glasses and you had a briefcase, did you? Yeah. So I looked like Clark Kent, they thought. Yeah. I didn't know this. I actually did not know that until Lucy, who was another old friend, (laughs) wrote in to say that. So she's kept that secret for about uh, 20 years. Thanks, Lucy. Talk to me about how many years you were rocking up at school with a briefcase. Till he was 28. (laughs) (laughs) I still take it to meetings. What are you talking about? (laughs) So let's move on to this week's topic, which is our Christmas special and the end of the year. And to celebrate the end of the year, I'm going to um, pop a bottle of champagne. And let's uh, just say less and less, to be honest. I'm not a big sort of New Year. I don't personally believe in the sort of changing of a calendar having any meaning. I think, uh, let's be honest, there were lots of people celebrating this year starting and They've got egg on their faces now, haven't they? So um, I'm not a big New Year fan, but I will say, take anything you can get when it comes to positivity. And I certainly am glad that 2020 is ending. Um, So here's a little little pop. There we go. Oh, it sounded rather impotent, that, didn't it, over this end? That's uh, That's the supermarket own brand, Vegan Carver, that I choose. Anyway, cheers. Here's to uh, the new year. And we'll be theming this show on um, words written in 1843 by Charles Dickens, um, who says in his seminal work, A Christmas Carol, I love A Christmas Carol. Um, He says a couple of things that I think are relevant to our podcast. Uh, It's a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things that while there is infection and disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. 
So uh, we shall carry on our work trying to spread a little bit of that. But he says, uh, in the words of Scrooge, I will honour Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me and I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. And that is really what the podcast is, isn't it? We're looking at the past, living in the present and trying to influence the future. So tonight we will look, uh, first of all, at... Uh, the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas as it was. And I guess that means in the sense of the past this year, looking at 2020 and what's gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a belter, hasn't it, lads? <laughs> <laughs> Difficult well, it, to pick a highlight. But it is it, it, it is also worth just kind of reflecting on, you know, how Christmas has evolved to get us to where we are today. I do, I do think that is also important because... You know, this notion of the modern Christmas is a sort of bastardization of all of the really fun midwinter festivals that we used to have. You know, whether it's going back to sort of pagan Yule with the wild hunt. And it was obviously feasting and drinking, but, you know, throwing a bit of sacrifice uh, along the side to kind of bring an additional colour. But I think the one we've really missed out on is Saturnalia, which was far more fun, which again involved public sacrifice, but had these amazing things around role reversal where masters would become slaves and slaves masters uh, and it was a day to change the rules it was an inversion of the norm um, and I think we've lost a bit of that playfulness particularly in regards to what we were talking about last week in the context of protest. I think my wife would tell you as someone who is a miserable bastard 11 months a year and then inexplicably perks up on December the 1st that I commit very fully to the uh, role reversal at Christmas model. What, what, um, what makes what makes you do that John? I don't know while I was uh preparing for this podcast this afternoon i stuck of miracle and 34th street on and um i had to turn it off because i started crying when uh, the the deaf girl sat on his knee there's something about christmas and something about everybody's sudden will and i guess it reflects in what you what you've you've talked about this year in terms of covid that things that if you were to have suggested them two or three years ago to a politician you would have been laughed out of the room and now because we've been forced to we have you know, experimented with new things and new ways of running society that hopefully can influence the future for better. There's something about Christmas, everybody's sudden will, whether it's within families to invite people you don't usually like or to bite your tongue at dinner when someone says something you don't like, or, you know, the the, the making an effort around people or the suddenly uh, popping around to your neighbours and leaving a little bottle of blue nun on the doorstep. I find that sort of sudden collective mm. will to make things better quite quite an emotional thing, to be honest. And it does make you wonder why we don't do it all year. I guess you get distracted with uh, survival and work and things like that that, you know, take up quite rightly most of our time. But there's something about and inspiring. Yeah, there's, there's also something about the reality of a conventional Christmas where we are all thrown together with our families, you know, often for sort of 72 hours in a stretch, which is not something that we habitually do a lot for the rest of the year. And so you're also forced to confront some of the awkwardness, you know, the kind of the dredging up uh, of your the old self, you know, and the kind of uh, assumptions that people make about you and your behaviour based on who you were 20 years ago and all those kind of relationship tensions which emerge. And I think in the context of where we've come from in 2020, uh, you know, we used to talk about 2020 vision as being that, that total clarity of vision. Uh, and, and we've touched on this on the podcast before when we've we've talked about apocalypse, you know, the reveal, the thing, the kind of the, the showing of things as they actually are. And I think there's something about that hothouse festive environment, which tends to do that, too, because really the emperor is not just being revealed as naked. 
this year, he's actually been revealed as doing despicable things with his genitalia in public. You know, it's like it's it's really quite uh, offensive. Some of the things we've realised about ourselves. Happy Christmas, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah, but the upside of that, I mean, building on what John was saying, the positives. You know, it has been about the connecting with the neighbours. You know, there was that will during all the mutual aid networks of communities coming together. You know, you've seen this kind of extrapolation and acceleration of of latent trends which were bubbling under the surface. I mean, video conferencing has been around for years, but, you know, the Zoom phenomenon has suddenly meant that we've all been coerced into it. You know, we've we've seen a vaccine developed in a matter of months, which, you know, if we remember Mark's comments about the pharmaceutical industry, that seems like next to a miracle that actually it's been able to be achieved so rapidly. Um, you know, we also had... The exposure of uh, uh, of Trump, you know, he might have actually got back in without the pandemic, because the U.S. economy might have might have carried him through, which is, you know, thankfully not happened. So we we have all these kind of this real clarity coming through of uh, of things which are happening, which which should give us some sucker for for connecting with what's truly real. How do you measure when you when you look back on the year, and we'll come on to the year personally, um, what what we'll remember from it? But but that idea that we have suddenly decided you can get a vaccine through as quickly as we have, and you can support people through difficult times when you live in a planet where some of our biggest and most fundamental problems, the inequality, the poverty, I mean, the, the number of people dying of malaria every year is, is staggering. We've had the solutions to those for ages, and we haven't acted. Does it come down purely to will? We haven't acted with enough will to solve those problems which were within our reach. And do you think that will change going forward as a result of this year? Or do you think we've all in in, in the developed world looked after ourselves and, and that will remain much the same? Well, I mean, what tends to happen is that um, if it starts to affect rich people or privileged people, then you get action quickly because they've got all the money and all the power basically. And that's what happened with COVID because suddenly it was affecting everybody and it was just starting to affect people's you know, investments and affect their families as well. And so rather cynically, you, that, that's why you've got such massive movement on it. However, having said all that, I think it has changed the sentiment of many people who are privileged. Certainly I've seen that and the work I've been doing You've suddenly seen people opening up to a, you know, like the like as Ed was saying, you know, the the veil has been removed finally from mm. their their prejudice because suddenly they've been affected by something, and it's starting to have real real effects in people's hearts. And I always say that the brain does the PR for what the heart has already decided. And I think the the, the one of the silver linings of this is some very important and influential people and institutions have had their hearts changed in a positive direction, and I'm certainly seeing it in my work it's much easier to get radical and generous and kind ideas put into practice than it would have been a year ago and we've just got to keep on pushing at that mm, i think people have come to that appreciation that you can't negotiate with a virus in the same way that you, you can't negotiate with climate change and so you know you, you are forced to confront it and you know the line that I've been hearing is, you know, what if climate change was the physical reality we faced and it was capitalism that was made up? Uh, you know, you can't, you can't, you, you can't self-isolate from climate change. You know, that's the other thing. So I think, as Mark said, the, the pandemic is, is the trigger which has forced us to confront other bigger, difficult mountains that we've also got to climb. Yeah, one of uh, one of our uh, clients uh, said this great thing during one of the jobs we were doing this year. We were actually helping this big company sort of rethink itself, and now it's decided to become a regenerative uh, organisation, the first in its sector. And uh, the guy who owns that very successful sort of billionaire 
entrepreneur. He said, he said, uh, well, when the tide goes out, you find out who's got their underwear on. And it turns, <laughs> out, <laughs> turns out, you know, that quite a lot of organisations and governments and families and investors and whatever are pretty threadbare in the uh, in the pants department. What do you feel about um, globally and individually? I mean, individually, this has been spoken about as a, a horrific Christmas and an unprecedentedly difficult one. How, how do you feel about that in a, sort of, in a global and historical context? It's going to be a difficult one, um, but we're separate because we probably won't be able to spend time with our families in perhaps quite the same way that we were before. Uh, but equally, you know, if you look back historically, there have been far worse Christmases, you know, coming off the back of the First World War and the you know, the, the infamous 1918 influenza pandemic, which was literally killing tens of millions of people. Uh, and equally after the Second World War. But I also, I mean, I personally look back at some of, you know, the Christmases that I've spent uh, either alone or away from family when I was working abroad in, in, in Jamaica or Australia. And I really, I really appreciate them. I really loved them. <laughs> you know, I remember sitting down to one Christmas with just my girlfriend and I uh, and, and just us both looking at each other and going, this is lovely. You know, there's no pressure. There's no hassle. There's no obligations. There's no expectations from anyone else. We're just having our day as we wanted it. And so... It, can, it depends on how you frame it, but it could just be treated as a wonderful blessing. And if that girlfriend is listening, I would implore you, please, to put your side of that Christmas. Um, we've had a lot of Mark. I'd love to know what a Christmas alone on an island with uh, Ed Gillespie is like. The email will be at the end of the show. Mark? Yeah. And also, you've got to remember the very, very desperate and horrible Christmas we all had not, not that long ago, which was uh, 2010, of course, because that's when Coldplay released Christmas Lights, and that ruined it <laughs> for everyone. So, Mark, you're very outspoken musically. You are our music guru. Talk to me about Christmas music, because for me, Christmas begins at midnight, December the 1st. Christopher, a spaceman, came travelling. Well, I, I'm with you, John. I have to say, because there's things I will listen to at Christmas that I would probably uh, suggest that people should be, you know, incarcerated for listening to at any other time of the year. And I've got to tell you that my particular guilty pleasure, and I love it, I, I'm sorry, and I know this could probably have me removed from many of my positions, is that um, I just love Michael Bublé's Christmas Deluxe album. I just think he does all those songs beautifully, and uh, it makes it makes me feel very Christmassy. Wow. I've got a playlist I put together, which is Dubstep Christmas, which I'd got Mark to put on the other day, uh, which is is basically some really badass versions of Christmas carols. Uh, and, that, and that'll have you po going in the kitchen. I want it in my life. When I was at Six Music, I would do a different theme of Christmas every week. So we did a reggae Christmas, yeah. a Scar Christmas. We did a uh, country and Western Christmas. I love Christmas songs. I don't think there's a Christmas song I don't like. Let's uh, let's drill a little more into personal reflections because this this Christmas special is a chance to to stray off some of the sort of systems change and the global things we've talked about. Uh, Ed and Mark, when you look back on 2020 personally, how will you remember it as a sort of exclusively bad year or a bad year with highlights? I oh, know. I mean, to be honest, actually, in a weird way, 2020 has been a really brilliant year for me uh, and I say that with the caveats of the understanding of how difficult it has been for others and I'm not trying to be insensitive to that but um, you know lockdown was actually a very creatively productive time for me I began writing poetry in this kind of morning ritual and that was a real tribute and a way of channeling some of the grief of losing my dad and my brother um, over the last couple of years um, and so, you know, that was a real, really poignant thing. 
um, doing the podcasts. I mean, doing this podcast where we've sort of proven that you can build relationships and friendships by never actually being in the same room as as the other people. And some people um, have said that is the best way to build a friendship with John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the only way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and my daughter came to live with me full time after a sort of you know a long and difficult journey, uh, and also I just feel that the work has changed. You know, I learned to slow down this year. Um, having been sort of pinging around the place like a blue ass fly for many years, and I, and I felt my creativity generally has been liberated by not doing a lot of the kind of slightly um, pointless consultancy work I felt I was doing before. And you know, we've we've touched on this in several of the episodes. I think also the the focusing on what really matters uh, and the reconnection with the nature in you know even in inner London the ability to go out and enjoy and be a part and feel like you're part of a living system again, um, even whilst the streets were deserted, was was quite an extraordinary thing. And none of that would I would have predicted. You know, and I know we don't do predictions, but, you know, if you, if, if the turn of the year uh, last year, you'd have said all these things would happen and they'd turn out to be good things, I would never have believed you. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, certainly... I've, a lot of the people that, that we work with in the cause of trying to make the world more sustainable and equitable, humane or just, I keep feeling at the moment like like we've all been in training really for 20 years and the next sort of one or two years, particularly with the big climate change, a bit like our Olympics, this is where we're going to really deliver on that stuff. We've just been given a massive you know shot in the arm by by everybody's sudden realisation of the fragility of, of everything. And I think that's that's incredibly incredibly hopeful and let's not squander it it's a very exciting time to be alive if you if you're interested in change as we are but you know the the, the great crime of that as you hinted at john is it has it's come at the cost of of you know hundreds of thousands of lives and rich people having to suddenly wake up to the systemic problems that we that we face and that's that's you know that's what we've been battling against you know ed and i and the people we work with for years and years and years um but finally we're we're, we're going to get somewhere and we're not going to squander it i hope that's my that's my big hope for the next year but also i mean there's there's been more important things happen i think than just that which of course is that meet the richardsons uh was premiered this year and i think that's probably had more uh, effect on people's uh, mental health and, and anything I've I've ever witnessed in history. I think I mean it's it's bigger than the Reformation, isn't it? I think it's you know Dave's biggest hit, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean if you don't count Storage Hunters UK, you know I'm I'm under no uh, illusions about what the people of this country like. Sure, they like comedy that is you know silly and irreverent and about marital strife. What they really like is to see containers full of shit getting opened with a crowbar. That's what they really like. <laughs> well, so, some would have said that Meet the Richardsons is very much like that. <laughs> absolutely, since it's my soul and not a container, and it's not full of anything valuable. <laughs> so, talk to me about when when Christmas starts for you. The Meet the Richardsons Christmas special. You have lampooned it, but the, it centers around me deciding when Christmas starts. What is the moment when the little tingle goes down the back of uh, of your neck and you know it's it's Christmas? I think for me, it's when I finally have stopped work and I'm sat in the living room with just my Christmas tree and just the Christmas tree lights on and everybody else has probably gone to bed or is somewhere else in the house. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. And I have a glass of red wine. I've got the Christmas tree lights on. And what I do is I put on an episode of I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And I sit there by myself and chuckle away. And particularly in the year that, that Tim Brooke Taylor was taken away from us yes. by COVID, I'm particularly looking forward to that moment this Christmas where I'm going to put on the last broadcast with him on and raise a glass to Tim 
and just think, isn't it great that even though he's not with us, he can still make me laugh. And that's going to be my little Christmas present to myself. I'm so glad you spoke about the quiet moments when everyone's gone to bed because I feel so guilty about, but I love that as well. There's something about the, when you know you've had a good day with the family, but they're not there anymore. And it's you and the Christmas lights and naughty booze as well, not just like, oh, I'll have a little, I'll, I'll finish that beer. It's always like port or brandy or something very naughty. <laughs> <laughs> Last night I watched the entirety of Die Hard after everyone had gone to bed. <laughs> it's, not, it's not quite as erudite as your, I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And your uh, eulogy to Tim Brooke Taylor, which was very nice. Uh, Bruce Willis knocking around an abandoned flat with uh, Alan Rickman. But there's something about those quiet, naughty hours. And you know you're going to be slightly grumpier in the morning for it. But Christmas in an armchair after everyone's gone to bed. It's usually match of the day for me. It's that Boxing Day match of the day when everyone's gone to bed because you've had a big Christmas and you stay up. And just unbeknownst to you why you're watching Crystal Palace nil, Sheffield United nil at one o'clock in the morning, hammered. But the joy of it. Ed. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like, it's like you, you, you have to carve out those little quiet times because I often find you, you don't sort of realise it's Christmas until it's too late. You know, you get this massive prolonged build-up yes. for weeks over the course of December. Yes. Then it's all, suddenly all over. You know, you've slipped into the festive perineum, uh, the bit in between, you know, and you're lurching towards New Year. Sean Locke, my wonderful colleague, refers to the gap between Christmas and New Year as the perineum. The Merineum. <laughs> you don't quite know what it's for in between. <laughs> but you're exactly right. You you spend so long getting ready for Christmas, it sort of happened. And then Yeah. And I don't and I don't mind it because it yeah, that that period is obviously also quite reflective as you as you build up to whatever deflatory thing you're gonna be doing for the for the turn of the year. Um are you hopeful then going forward? Because I had a, I had a moment today. I went and picked up my my last shop for Christmas, my my click and collect, and driving back, listening to the news headlines, and realizing these are the headlines that in the start of a film that you know is going to end badly, like a sort of zombie apocalypse film. There's always a bit at the beginning where the the person gets in from work, you throw their keys on the table, pours a glass of wine, and you hear on the news more people were taken ill today, and they turn the news off, and we as the viewer know oh, you should have listened to that, mate, because that was telling you how bad it's going to get. I suddenly read it. We're, we're listening to those headlines now. And, and and the point you made, Ed, about when climate change, if, if we don't tackle it, becomes those headlines, there is no vaccine and there is no if we push this through in six months. So yeah. how, do you, how do you weigh up that hope? Because for me, that was a... It wasn't as depressing as it as it would have been, and I have to say a lot of that is largely down to working on this podcast. That I'm aware of what brilliant people there are fighting the good fight, and what what you know possible solutions there are. And I have to say, it does feel we'll come on to Christmas presents. I, I won't make that point in a minute, but it does feel different this year in terms of the conversations we're having. But it was a my god, there's some really awful times coming if we don't yeah. deal with this the way we should. I mean, I see it as it's a it's a totally sort of knife edge type of scenario because on the positive side, you know, you've seen that actually large scale social change can happen really, really fast. Uh, you know, we as you say, if we take something seriously, you can actually mobilize people. You can make decisions which are 
not necessarily about economic priorities, but are actually about saving lives and well-being. Um, and in a way, that's a, a hugely positive thing that we can turn the world around. In one white sense, that's a bit like a Wizard of Oz moment. You know, you go from black and white to full color, like going, "Oh wow, actually, you know, people will shift. They'll change behaviors. They'll mm. they'll follow the guidance. They'll try and do the right thing." I mean, the flip side of it is, uh, you know, and you touched on it, John, is that actually you, you treat the vaccine as some kind of panacea. Uh, and there isn't one for climate change, and there isn't one for biodiversity collapse. And the the concern then is that our arrogance means that we absolutely learn nothing. You know, we just see COVID as this bad luck, you know, that we overcame, where in actual fact, as we touched on, I think, in series series one, you know, it's about zoonosis. There's a, there's a new human pathogen emerges about every four months. Uh, and, you know, and whether it's HIV, Ebola, bird flu, swine flu, MERS, SARS, West Nile, Zika, you name it, you know, that's happening. And actually, you know, we need to get over the arrogance that these things are about simple fixes, as we were talking about the complexity. And I, and I was ruminating on this in advance of tonight. And it was something that Kat Arney said about cancer, you know, when she said, you know, essentially cancer is the price we pay for multicellularity. And that's the issue with things like climate change and, and biodiversity collapse. They're not just the price we pay for, for civilization. You know, we actually have to take the ecological approach that she was describing towards cancer. We have to take that to our whole system, to our whole civilization, because that's the only way you actually start to solve these problems. Uh, and I think that's where, again, there's potential for regenerative excitement uh, about finally coming to that that genuine realization. You know, it's not just about going in for the quick op to whip out the tumor. It's about changing your lifestyle, changing the way you live, changing how you live, uh, and that can be extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we've uh, we've got an episode coming up in the new year with James Thornton from Client Earth and Brian Eno, and uh, James has been working in China helping them write their environmental law. And one of the things, you know, you all know if you talk to James is that they have totally gone for that as a, as a strategic direction, the ecological civilization. And when, you know, the biggest economy in the world, which I think China now is, or, or you know, sort of bat, you know, battles with the US for that, you know, makes that a strategic direction, then you have a real shift in the way the world is going. And, and hopefully we can all get behind that, but whilst also not, you know, embracing the human rights abuses, of course. It's a double-edged sword for China always. Yes, there is. There's definitely cause for optimism in 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 a global superpower like that taking, albeit you know, f for all of us probably slightly too late, the front foot. But th there's also something interesting. I think when you look back on this year in the individual uprise and the emails we get on the podcast from you get this sense from people who listen to this podcast, there's a desperation to want to help. They just people just want to be told. What are the things I can do? How can I get involved? And how can I feel positive? But then you also look at you know the the Black Lives Matter movement and the continuing uh, school strike for climate change. Individuals take into the streets to demand change, juxtaposed with the fact that let's be honest, as much as this has been a brutal year, the people it hasn't been that brutal for are the wealthiest and most powerful people mm. on the planet who have done all right, have they not? Well, no, and, and this is a real, really important point about, you know, the inequality that's been exposed and the privilege. It's interesting, if you look at the kind of the, the wealthier households in the UK, actually UK savings 
rose by about 100 billion quid in the first half of 2020 because people were squirreling money away. People who could afford it. But, you know, again, this is one of the big missed opportunities because the furlough scheme, whilst actually keeping the wolf from the door for a lot of people, was so crude in the fact that it just replaced your previous income. And we we squandered this opportunity for an experimentation with something like universal basic income, which would have been much more egalitarian and much fairer. Uh, and it's probably something we're going to have to seriously consider in the future. Um, and we missed that. And so if you were earning 50 grand a year, you got furloughed at 50 grand a year. If you were earning 15 grand a year, you got furloughed at 15. And so it, it was just favouring you know, the better off. Well, let's move on to, I think that's a fair look back over the year, some uh, some of the sort of honest assessments of where we're at, but lots of cause for hope and optimism there. Let's let's go to the ghost of Christmas present. Let's talk about uh, Christmas this year, as it will be. Uh, we're, we're heading into it now. And the economics and the sort of impact of Christmas anyway, and what, what I was sort of alluding to earlier when I, I talked about that drive back was, as a as a vegan and someone who is you know trying to be as proactive as they can about environmental issues, it does feel like the narrative has slightly shifted this year. I, there's far more options available to me um, in terms of Christmas food. Far more talk about sustainability in terms of you know just the wrapping paper and the things we buy. Let's talk about the, the impact of Christmas as it has been sort of ecologically is it this and and i will hold my hands up i've been a nightmare for this in the past i do go crazy at christmas and i buy things i probably shouldn't buy for people who don't want them as a way of saying i'm sorry i've been an asshole for the last 364 days here's some candles Um, (laughs) it's christmas broadly bad for the planet well, I mean, I think generally, it's, I mean, the, the, the big question here is, is uh, the throwaway stuff, as you touched on, John. And ironically, this actually does come back from Saturnalia, where they used to have gift giving and they almost invented the gag gift, uh, you know, the sort of the Roman equivalent of the whoopee cushion where people will give each other joke presents. Um, but the trouble is, you know, when that's all made out of plastic tat and it ends up, you know, it makes people laugh for 36 hours and then ends up in a landfill site. Um, I, th- I do think there will be a different attitude, hopefully, this year. I mean, that said, you know, we're still gearing up to spend probably 80 billion quid between us in the UK alone on Christmas. So there will still be an enormous amount of, of both food and product bunged pretty much in the bin i mean it's it's shocking yeah how many tons of you know thousands of tons of turkey uh are basically going into the compost or 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 into landfill oh i don't think that's a stat i can i can hear i'll depress no exactly but i think again if i was trying to put a positive spin on it i do think 2020 has has created a lot greater clarity around around food waste and the visibility because of our domestic presence the fact that we've been in our homes, we've just been a bit more aware, having slowed down, about what we're buying, how it's coming in, what we're throwing away, you know, how the waste accumulates, you know, how the recycling accumulates. So I would hope that those kind of uh, visible moments will have created some kind of behaviour shift um, this festive season. Yeah, I mean, we've decided not to buy presents for each other in our house. I mean, we're going to buy some for the kids, but it's just like, you know, what are we going to buy each other that we, you know, that we really need? Well, why do we, I mean, the whole point, why, as, as you said, John, why do we try and give gifts? We try, I mean, George Monboyer wrote about this brilliantly a few years ago. He just said, you know, we're trying to give gifts to show people that we love them, that we appreciate them, that we're grateful for them. Uh, you know, and when we buy them things which are actively destroying the world around them, you know, and he said, if you want to show someone you love them, 
Uh, he said, write them a poem, you know, draw them a picture. Oh, you had to do it. You had to do it. <laughs> Record them a song, you know, bake them a cake, you know, do something which demonstrates the, uh, the true depth of your love for them. Um, yeah. so, um, this, so this explains why I got a book of poetry from you and not the bottle of scotch that I wanted, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, we, actually, in terms of Christmas present, we should actually point out the fact that I got your Christmas card the other day and in it was a poem. That a poem that you wrote. These are very big revelations, latterly yeah. in the podcast. I think we've made a poet of you, Mark Stevenson. No, no, no. Oh, you haven't heard it yet, John. <laughs> <laughs> I think it rather makes my point because every year my wife, the wonderful Caroline, likes to make a bit of a project of the Christmas card. So it's a picture of the four of us in some kind of scene that somehow relates to Christmas. And we have to play these parts. So it's the only time I ever get into, I ever dress up in the year. Whereas Ed, as we know, we you know, get put on fancy dress to go to the opening of a supermarket. But And I hate fancy dress, but I do it because I love my, my, my wife. And then it's quite a fun thing to do. And this year, um, she's recreated the poster for Jailhouse Rock. Uh, which is the Elvis Presley in four separate poses with each four of us. And so I wrote a little uh, rhyme to go in, the, in there, and it's terrible. It's full of puns. <laughs> it's, full, it's full of really dodgy puns, and it's awful. And that's my point about most poetry. That's what most people do. That's what most people <laughs> it's do. It's your poetry. It's your poetry. <laughs> no, 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 that's, no. See, that, see, I know that I'm writing some trite nonsense uh, for my own amusement, whereas most people who do poetry think they're doing something profound. Do you want, do you want to hear it? How can we not? I mean, it's not very good, as I say, because it's a, it's a, it's a, Elvis Presley's on the front in four separate poses, played, played by me, my wife, and my two children. And inside it says, though we've had a little less conversation this year, let Christmas not be blue, but full of cheer. No heartbreak hotel, no suspicious minds, just lots of mince pies and stacks of wine. Let's welcome the new year in all its splendour while we take 2020 and return to sender. Oh, it's lovely. It's terrible. It's fucking awful. But it's the point, isn't it? It's meant to be a cheesy Christmas rhyme. I like it. Um, and I look forward to when, when mine arrives. Yeah, but you don't, you don't send Christmas cards, do you, John? You told me that. No, I and I never have. Do you know, it's, it's, I'm trying to be the positive guy at Christmas because I've talked about how much I love Christmas. Every Christmas card that lands on my doorstep, I think, fuck me. There's another person who's either going to think I'm a piece <laughs> of shit or I have to cobble together a card that suspiciously arrives one day for buying the card and writing it and two days for postage after theirs that clearly says, happy Christmas, because you did it, so I've got to. And Lucy constantly reminds me, maybe they're just nice and maybe they're just thinking of you. But it's the same fucking people every year who think about people and are caring and have a little list of addresses and they send their cards. And every year I think, oh, shit. And then I think, this is even worse, I think, do you know what will mean more to them? if I send them a card when it's not Christmas. So what I'll do, I'll wait till January and I'll get to the end of January and I'll send everyone a card saying, January's the longest, darkest month of the year. Well done for getting through it. Thanks for being a friend. Sorry I didn't do it at Christmas. And then it gets to the end of January and I think, oh, bollocks, I didn't do that card thing. And you can't send one on like March the 7th. Well, so then, you, <laughs> you, say, you say that. I once got a Christmas card from Dave Gregory from XTC. I really loved your music because we sent him a, a copy of it. This is what the band that Chris Lowry invested in. He says, really, really loved your music. It's fantastic. Thanks very much. And uh, happy Christmas. <laughs> it arrived in April. And I thought, that's rock and roll. That's very rock and roll. <laughs> well, maybe I'll do that then. Maybe I'll send you a poem in January. Um, should we? I mean... We... <sighs> If you don't want to be Scrooge-like about it, do you? We, 
Scrooge's epiphany is that he should be looking after other people and we should be doing presents, shouldn't we, and sending cards. There's, there's no need to feel to completely... I'm still reeling from the green capitalism conversation we had last week, and uh, we had an email from a listener who um, who says um, your your guest last week said the real enemy is green capitalism. This may be one of the more naive questions you get this week, but why exactly is that such a bad thing? I'm struggling to understand what the alternative is. We're not saying don't send any presents. Are we saying don't send any presents? If you're going to send a present or a gift, send something that will really touch people or move them. So, you know, uh, in my family, we have this deal that we don't send each other presents, but we do spend time together. Unless we see something, you think, you know what, they wouldn't think of buying that for themselves. And that mm. is something they will use and will be used for. And that will be a generally appreciated gift. I'm all for that. But just getting a present because it's Christmas, you know, mm. and I've had yeah. some terrible ones. I mean, we should get on to the worst Christmas gifts we've ever had, I think, at some point. Yes. I love Uncle Phil. I'm looking forward to spending time with him. But hang on, he does have very dry bollocks and there's a secondhand testacuzzi on eBay. <laughs> that, that's what you mean, right? Let's move on to the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And that really, for me, is uh, the how do we unfuck ourselves? That's the ultimate Scrooge's final ghost, the, the one that causes the epiphany. And it's it's to do with looking forward to not just Christmas 2021, but 2021 and beyond in general, and whether we do so with hope. On the, on the topic of that for this podcast alone, I have to say one of my great joys of this year, and one of the things I remember is this podcast. And it has been a, a privilege speaking to you both. Uh, we started this in, in the depths of the first lockdown, didn't we? Our first episode was, was on the virus. It was recorded uh, at the start of the pandemic, and we've done it then for most of the year, save for a little break. And it has. I, I have never felt as uh, engaged with uh, the future as I have as a result of doing this podcast. I've been introduced to some people that make me feel better day to day uh, about being alive as a result of this podcast. So thank you to you, Ed and Mark. And I want to read this one on behalf of the listeners to this podcast. And this is very much to the two of you, not me, because this podcast is generated and propelled by your intellect and insight and charm. I am merely there to ask the questions. So this you know email, I'm, I'm literally thinking, when when does it come in? <laughs> That's been too much. There's, there's, when are you going to drop it? Is it? Is oh, it- I- I play a much slower game than that, my friend. Oh, okay. All right. Don't oh. you worry about that. <laughs> oh, okay. This pullback will go on for years and the reveal will be at my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kevin says, should you choose to read this on the podcast, please choose whichever accent you like, John. Um, so as not to cheapen your words, I will go with Lancastrian. Earlier this year, pre-COVID and pre-series one of the podcast, I was deeply dissatisfied with my job, working for an organisation whose cause I didn't believe in, led by not very nice people who made it feel like I was trapped in the 80s with their attitudes and working culture. It was hugely impacting my mental health and self-belief. I was then furloughed for a while and then discovered the Future Notes. It's without question the most inspiring and motivating podcast I've ever listened to. The work episode changed my mindset completely as I realised I wasn't alone and there are plenty of other the bosses out there who are sociopaths and most importantly there was a way out i think the sociopath there is a dig at me um i made it my goal to find an organization who had a purpose to their business model and who wanted to make the world a fairer place and this week was offers a role for a tech startup whose software makes recruitment fairer by removing unconscious bias from the process leading to a more diverse workplace to improve the organization's culture and give everyone an equal chance regardless of race and gender etc when i was asked in the interview why i applied for the role i quoted this very podcast in my answer clearly it worked 
Stewart, and hopefully you've gained some new listeners by my name dropping. Anyway, thank you for making the podcast. I will continue to do my part to spread the word and do my bit for society and the planet. Brackets, I need to stop eating meat. I am working on it. Thank you, and Merry Christmas, Kevin. So there you go. That's the podcast in action, right? That's lovely. Fucking hell, that is amazing. Well, thank you, uh, Kevin. That's really... I, don't know, I mean, I, I want to say something funny, but I'm not going to... It hasn't stopped me. I haven't for years. And I'm a comedian, so, you know, just enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, talking, of the, talking of the post bag, though, uh, you know that uh, last week you did Dave... With the, the black country accent. Oh, I did, yes. Yeah, you your did, London Dave. bubble. Your bloody media London bubble with your Prosecco. Yeah, anyway, um, he, he, he's he been in touch again. I only realised you'd even read my email when I listened to the latest episode and was told to fuck off, which pleased oh, me greatly. Oh, <laughs> oh, <God>. oh, <laughs> and uh, I, he took it all with great humour and we had a nice chat on the email. So, uh, you know, even, even when we uh, annoy our listeners, we seem to get on with them, which is nice. And here's one, another favourite of mine. It says, uh, John, I love your comedy. I think you are trying to be funny, but either way, it works. <laughs> 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 I think he's trying to be funny. Otherwise, why would he say that? <laughs> However, I think that the Future Noughts are the real stars of the show, and I propose yes. rebranding as Future Noughts and John. That's from Graham, who is also my brother. No, I don't know who he is, but uh, there, there we go. Bang up for that. I have to say, I don't like, um, I'm going to say this now, I don't like doing interviews i don't like talking about myself and things i've done the interviews we've done i've enjoyed all of them there's there's nothing i look forward to more than getting together and having a, a chinwag on bbc radio uh, birmingham and talking about this podcast so i think part three is is the bit i'm most proud of part three is where we talk about the future and, and we, we, it's, it's not just hopeless optimism which is what i like about what the two of you do so talk to me about um, 2021 and beyond. If there's one thing I've learned from working with you gentlemen, it's that you do not predict the future. You talk about what is possible. So talk to me about how you feel looking forward now. I think everything is up for grabs for the first time in a long time. So I'm going to quote Vladimir Lenin, which is odd for me. I often quote John Lennon, but I'm going to quote Vladimir Lenin. And he said something like, I'll get the quick start wrong. He says, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And I think we're entering a period of time where there's going to be decades happening in weeks. So what's happening in the area of technology? What's happening in the area of policy? What's happening in the area of civil society? It's this massive melting point. And I think, you know, Ed and I talk about the long emergency, really, that with the next 30 years are going to be this very turbulent time as the old world dies and the new one has has to be born and is born and i think we're kind of it's like they've just hit the starting gun on that and now it's all all hands to to the deck to build the new world we want and i think that's incredibly exciting and also there's no there's no guarantee we're going to make it but i I think i know which side i'm on and uh even if we lose i'm going to have a better time losing than those fuckers are going to have winning that's my feeling but I, i i feel actually we might just pull it out of the bag, particularly with uh, with wonderful people like Ed Gillespie and John Richardson in the world. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Ed Gillespie. So I think I broadly concur with Mark. You know, I think, you know, it's going to get bumpy. And one of the key things we've got to do is get over this sort of win or lose mentality. that We're going to somehow beat COVID or beat climate change and that it's always going to be this sort of mm. polarised victory or defeat. And we are in this period where the rapid transitions are going to be possible. But equally, we can't lose sight of the fact that it's about a shift in consciousness and awareness of our indivisibility of us as people and our indivisibility from the wider natural systems that support and sustain us. And 
what I've been saying in my talks recently is is using the statement from the 1960s civil rights movement in the US, where the same mantra has been adopted by Amnesty International, and it applies equally to to civil rights, Black Lives Matter, COVID, and climate change. Is that none of us are safe until all of us are safe. And it's that type of emotional mentality I think we have to adopt and adapt in future because it's all too easy to revert to the I'm all right, Jack, you know, we're all right, Jack, uh, and, and sod everyone else because that leads to the exclusion and separation and division. Um, and so for 2021, you know, the big battles we're going to have to fight, and I hesitate to use the terrible military terminology myself, are about overcoming some of those demons of our inner nature. And I think we see that through the sort of false optimism um, that's been peddled by so many in power, particularly in the context of the pandemic, because when that bumps up against reality, we're all left flailing. And where the real hope lies is perhaps in that transcendence, which will allow us to ride out the bumps that are coming in a way that isn't disastrous. So, I mean, looking forward for me, I am... what I'm trying to get better at is finding the positivity in things that I didn't agree with at the time. And if there's one thing I would hope would change, it's just the way that people speak to each other. And we find it on this podcast that I, I, I've said before, I, I trust and I like the listeners of this podcast. There's something about the audio format. I found it on radio. You do have a more personal relationship, I think, because you are whispering directly into the ear of the people that listen to podcasts and radio. It's a very personal format, and I still have people who email me now about the six music shows I used to do. But I count some of the regular names as friends, and I like hearing from them. Uh, I, I, talking of regular names, Greg, who's a regular Twitterer, he said uh, he got very impatient this week on Twitter. He said, can we have another episode already? What is it? A whole week apart. Your routine should be to sleep, wake, eat, poo, podcast, upload, pint, repeat. Yeah. <laughs> and my mate David then pointed out that I needed some punctuation because it sounded like sleep, wake, eat, poo, podcast, upload, pint. <laughs> It'll be a very different podcast. Well, <laughs> um, as, as much as there are colleagues, we, we, I mean, we are very fortunate and we get very little disagreement and pushback and we welcome, or should I say Ed and Mark welcome, because they're the sort of strong people who know that debate is where you change people's minds. Personally, as a fragile comic, you can keep your fucking criticism to yourself. <laughs> um, but when they do come in, there's something about the way people complain now, that the way that people take anything that they don't perceived to be the way they want it to be so personally and every now and again we'll get an email that's not just like i thought perhaps you could have pursued this angle but it'll be a whole well i mean it's ridiculous you didn't ask that what were you thinking about and sometimes we have asked it and the answer wasn't pertinent or it didn't go the way we wanted or there was a technical problem that doesn't go in and it happens on twitter and just broadly i wish we could just talk to each other with a modicum of respect going forward in 2021 and understand the big decisions of, of, of recent years I haven't broadly agreed with. I haven't agreed with the governments we've elected and the decisions that we've taken. But nobody is purely evil. And on that bone of contention, I would say that uh, Brexit will happen this year for good or ill. We have to find the positives. And the news that the UK is, is going to hopefully lead a change in terms of banning live export of animals is a positive thing and I will take it with me as a positive and if there's more of that in the year to come 
then wonderful. And in a year where I've said it before, we are dealing with the global consequences of what happens when you uh, eat things that aren't looked after, then I hope we can stop this horrific process of locking sheep into a truck for no other reason than that you can put home slaughtered on a packet. And there are massive exceptions. The Northern Ireland don't seem like they're going to go along with it. And poultry will be excluded for some reason, as if, you know, we've got to look after cows, but fuck chickens. But it is a modicum of positivity from a thing that I, I, I didn't vote for that I will take and hope that it's part of building a better future. Amen to that, John. So that's about where we should be, I think, in terms of uh, a Christmas special. I think we've been uh, full and frank in our assessment of the year and um, in the uh, things to come. Uh, We're not necessarily doing how we unfuck ourselves, but we do always end with um, something that you can do as an individual. uh, And I'm putting you on the spot slightly here. But uh, speaking to our listeners as individuals, whether it's Christmas related or broadly about um, the year to come, Marker, do you have any um, any advice or anything that you think someone could do? And I have to say that this bit of the podcast, I, I mean it, it's, it's, it's the most energizing and the reward you get as an individual from doing something and feeling that you've engaged and helped make a change is, you know, it's self-propelling. You, you get more energy from it. So um, where are you at uh, at the moment in terms of what, what you would implore people to uh, to do? Well, I would say after the year we've had, that the first and most important thing is to be kind to yourself because it's been a tough one and we've all been through the mill in various ways and people have lost uh, people they care about. And as we go into the new year, you know, I, we've got to fall in love with the world again. Um, we've got to embrace the possibility of joy and a fantastic future. And we won't get a brilliant, fantastic future, but we've got to believe it's possible and keep striving for it. And you cannot fall in love with the world unless you're actually going to show yourself some kindness. So I always say this, but, you know, Make sure you're eating healthily, make sure you're getting some exercise, making sure you're getting some rest, making sure you take some time for yourself, do whatever it is mentally that helps you feel good and centered and find meaning. And then, you know, forgive yourself some of your foibles. So what I would say is, you know, be kind to yourself. And one of the ways you can be kind to yourself, of course, is by buying one of my two fantastic books. Uh, (laughs) I'm against some crass commercialism. Uh, Both my books are available. You can still get them in before Christmas. And uh, reading them both will make your life immensely better. And if you don't like them, they're very soft paper, so they have a dual use. (laughs) And, you know, as as we've discussed on the podcast previously, the, the things you talk about in the books are ongoing problems. The solutions remain interesting and the people remain a, a source of comfort to us. So if not Christmas 2020, Christmas 2021. Never get old. Get it in there. Ed? I think I'd just go with, with something very simple, actually, off the back of Mark's eloquence, which is just like things are going to piss you off. Uh, people are going to be twats. But the one thing that you are genuinely in control of is your own reaction to them. Uh, And I think we've talked about this before, but try and use the humour, humility uh, and hyper self-reflectivity on yourself in order to deal with the idiots out there. Amen. Perfect advice both. Um, The one thing I I take, having taken my share of abuse, and I have to say in my early 20s and my less happy years, dished it out, there's a real unhappiness in people who would speak to you that way and and my experience is when you, you don't have to dig very deep to find that people who are spitting out so much hate and so unhappy with yeah. the way the world operates are really unhappy and I try and do it even when someone cuts me up on the motorway I try and imagine what are you rushing to how are you that angry 
driving through Milton Keynes at three o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> so we end as as we always do on pointless futures, and uh, as it's Christmas, it feels only right to talk about gifts as a pointless future. Every gift you buy for someone is potentially a pointless future, and I'm lucky enough to live with a woman who I love dearly, but makes me very aware of the things I've bought for her that are pointless futures because she tells me to my face as she unwraps them that they're not the thing. (laughs) Um, So uh, do you have any particularly egregious gifts that stand out in in your pasts? Well, uh, I think it might have been Christmas last year. It might have been my birthday. I can't remember when it was, but but a pointless gift was given to me by my good friend, Paul, um, which was a, a pottery evening. He said, "You need you need to relax. You're working too hard. Why don't we go and and throw some pots one evening?" <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, right, well I'll go because he's bought it. Uh, but it, it was in it was in like North London, and I live in Deep South London. So it took us about an hour off to get there. We had to go on a bus because there was no one near a tube station. And then we spent three hours getting covered in st- sticky mud and and throwing dodgy pots. And uh, for some reason, actually, no, he'd bought it for me and I thought I don't want to go by myself. So I had to buy him a ticket. And by the time I bought him a ticket, the price had gone up. So it cost me more than the cost of the gift that he bought me to take him to it. We ended up, and it was about 70 quid. And, and we ended up with these two rubbish pots at the end of it. And then uh, we, we came home and it was so late and it was on the bus and it was raining. And on the bus home, I just said, I said, Paul, do you realise that for 140 quid, we could have stayed at home and drank ourselves <laughs> stupid with really excellent wine and still had money over to go and buy a couple of really nice plates. And he looked at me and went, oh, yeah. Which one of you was Patrick Swayze and which one was Demi Moore? <laughs> <laughs> and also, you've got a story that you're you're telling for the rest of your life. Do you feel like the story justifies it or, or would you genuinely have? I, I think had you bought the nice wine and got pissed together, you probably wouldn't still be talking about it. That's true. I'd not thought of it that way. And that's your gift to me. Thank you, John. Well, no, my gift to you is in the post. It's a, it's a class for the three of us to uh, uh, <laughs> we're going to knit our own cardigans. Uh, I quite like that experiential gift idea, though. That is nice. I mean, I like I I bought my uh, my oldest friend Giles. We both had to go do a stand up comedy course because he's a very funny man, and I knew he'd never do it himself. So I bought it for him as a present, and he said, "I'll do it on the condition that you do it with me." Uh, and then the, that's, he what was should, gonna... that's what we should buy John for Christmas. Stand up comedy tour. <laughs> <laughs> so that that concludes our Christmas special. I alluded to it earlier, but Mark and Ed, it has been a privilege uh, doing this podcast with you uh, through this year. So thank you for every hour. Thank you for listening, everyone um, who's who's downloaded this podcast and uh, spread the word. I think I, I can speak for all of us when I say it fulfills us to do this. It's it's something that we enjoy doing and we believe in. So the fact that you download it and encourage people to listen to it is, is very important to us. And stay tuned for the year to come. We have already recorded, as Mark mentioned earlier, an incredible interview uh, on Client Earth, who uh, some of you might remember we discussed uh, in the climate episode of our podcast um, with James Thornton and Brian Eno. We have a podcast coming on the future of touring, um, as I am to tour at the end of this year. We thought we'd tackle that head on, so there will be a podcast episode on the impact of uh, tours for artists. Um, We'll have special guests for that. And just so it's not too sexy, Ed is determined that at some point we do an episode on the future of sewage. So whether you're a fan of saving the planet 
music and comedy tours or what happens to your shit when you flush it down the toilet there is something for you coming it's 2021 <laughs> something for everyone <laughs> future thoughts definitely not on the topic of effluent we are going to end as we should given that we've converted mark stevenson from a fan of prog rock to a budding poet uh we're going to end on a poem and i will hand you to the wonderful ed gillespie Annus horribilis. If your Annus has been horribilis, don't dwell on its miserabilis or let the past blind you because the best place for a horrible Annus is behind you. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. See you next year. <laughs>